0: Hey there, New City Church. If you're a guest with us today, I want to welcome you. My name is Nate Bush. I am really glad you are joining us today. I know it's always a risk, whether you're watching online or in person today, it's always a risk to visit a church, and I want to thank you for taking that risk. You know, the world right now is in a considerable amount of pain, and this is one of those weird times as a communicator where I don't have to convince you that the world's in pain. You know the world's in pain. And everybody can just collectively hit nod. Yeah, yeah, I know the world's in pain. And I want to encourage you a little bit in the pain. And the first thing I want to say to you is that pain can do some good things for you. One of the things that pain can do for you is that pain can awaken your soul. It is my feeling that the American church right now is in need of an awakening that Christians uh, around our country and around the world are in need of awakening. And the pain that we're experiencing in this life right now through COVID and politics and all the tension that we feel in the world, that pain is, has the ability within us to bring about an awakening. And what we get to witness today is we get to witness Mordecai and Esther awakening to their true story. It's a remarkable story. We we read earlier in Esther chapter 4, verse 1, this is what we read. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He was weeping openly on the city streets. For what reason? Well, if you're new to this series. We are in the book of Esther. The book of Esther begins with King Xerxes throwing a massive party. The climax of the party was his attempt to parade his queen, Queen of Ashley, out in front of all of the, the people that he invited to this party so they could gawk at her beauty. She refuses him. He banishes her from the kingdom, throws a Please the king contest. That's the best way to talk about the. You know, it's a it's a it's a nice way of talking about the violation to young virgins all over the kingdom. But what happens essentially is young, beautiful virgins from around Persia are collected, taken from their homes, forced into the king's harem to try out to be queen. The tryout was not a beauty contest. It was a please the king contest, and Esther won that contest. There was a, an assassination plot. Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, and but Mordecai also raised Esther as a daughter. Uh, Mordecai comes into the knowledge of an assassination plot. The king's life is saved, but he gets a little bit jittery after that, it seems, in the text. Appoints Haman to be a uh, uh, kind of a prime minister over Persia, but he's the real bad guy here. And Haman, the bad guy, is upset that Mordecai won't bow down to him. Decides that he's not only going to take it out, his anger out on Mordecai, but he's going to take it out on all of Mordecai's people, the Jews. And so he issued a decree for genocide. Eleven months from the point of the decree, all of the Jews in Persia were going to be killed by other Persians in the empire. This was a dark moment. Talk about pain. Mordecai's feeling the pain deeply. You see, the evils of the politics of Persia have become too much for Mordecai to bear. Just too much for him to bear. And sometimes, like Mordecai, our only power is open and prayerful protest. And that's exactly what he does. He protests in the streets over the unjust law that brought about genocide of the Jews. And when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the midst of the city. He marched down the city street, made a spectacle of himself. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate, clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so there's this mourning all over Persia at this news. And Mordecai openly protests, prayerfully protests. Now, prayer is not mentioned in the book of Esther. But the sackcloth, the ashes, the fasting, those are all tips of the hat to prayer. But prayer is not mentioned for a reason. Because we're we're to be wondering, is there salvation here? Is there salvation in the text? Is God going to show up when he seems silent in the text? But for the moment, we're to feel the pain. And what happens is pain, it can push our private faith into the public space. And it does so for Mordecai. Mordecai is not a Jew in name or in ethnicity. He's a Jew in the heart. He feels it. And he goes from a privately practicing Jew to publicly practicing his identity as one of God's covenant people right there in the streets. And the question we're to be wondering and asking is, will Esther too embrace her Jewish identity? If you remember, Esther has two names, Hadassah and Esther. Hadassah, her Hebrew name, and Esther, her Persian name. We found that in Esther chapter 2, verse 7. We also find that in chapter uh, Two verse 10, that Esther had not made known her people, or her kindred—that's her Jewish identity—for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Now we're not given a lot of details here, but it's safe to assume that Mordecai taught Esther that she was a Jew, but to keep that Jewish identity hidden because it was going to hold her back in society. To embrace her Persian identity because that would help her to excel in society. In other words, Esther, if you want to get ahead, live like the Persians in public. Embrace their values and their ethics. But I can tell you that Esther did that, but Mordecai's over it. You see, there's, there's a spiritual pain that cannot be soothed by physical prosperity. That is certainly the language of Persia. It's all about the physical prosperity. In fact, Esther's living in light of it. You see it in verse 4. She finds out that Mordecai's weeping and he's fasting. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed and sent garments to clothe Mordecai, but he's having none of it. She was like, oh, he's sad. He's wearing sackcloth and ashes. I'll give you some really beautiful clothing from the kingdom. It's such, such an American thing to do. To try to meet our spiritual hunger with physical things. I don't know if, you've, if you, you can relate to this, but I have said out loud before I could eat something where I could feel my feelings. <laughs> I, look, I'm, I'm an American. I love smoked meats and apple pie. I mean, I love all of it. I also love consuming things, and I have said, these things before out loud. If not overtly, I have said them in the tone of my conversations, but I, I'm feeling a little down today. You want to go shopping? I can't, I can't be the only, the only one who during COVID was tempted to cope with shopping online. You know, when Bill Clinton was running for president against George Bush Sr., James Carvo, who is like his political operative at the time, coined a phrase that has now become famous, but also it highlights the American spirit and also the Persian spirit, quite frankly. It's the economy stupid. It's all about the economy. But here's, here's the thing. I think the pain of our moment has brought us to an awakening. Just like the awakening that Mordecai is experiencing and the awakening that Esther is about to experience in our text, I think the pain of our moment is bringing about an awakening. You see, we are in need of something more than a good economy. We know that. We feel it. We feel it in here. The pain of the moment is awaking us to this new reality. And Karen Jobs in her commentary, she goes, you know what, all this mourning and weeping, it feels like, it feels like the, the prophet Joel is showing up in the text. Joel says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And Joel continues, says, who knows, maybe God will rescue you, he'll show up because of your repentance. Here's what pain does. Pain, pain reminds us of the reality of sin, it raises the question, who is there to save us? Now, Don't get me wrong. The pain in our text today is genocide. That's not a good thing. Pain is not, not good in itself. But if pain brings about an awakening that turns a heart to a Savior, bring on the Savior. And COVID-19 and this crazy election season that we are in, as Americans, is raising the pain level to new heights. And I don't wish that pain on anyone, but that pain raises the question within you who is there to save us? Boy, I hope, I hope your attention will turn to Jesus. You see, pain shared in community it has this ability to waken the soul of others. And so, what's going to happen here is Mordecai is going to share his pain. A pain that Esther is yet to feel, but he's going to share his pain in such a way that invites her soul to, to awaken to her true identity. Esther called for Hathage, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend to her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. The fact that she calls Hathage by name is a sign that she deeply cares for Mordecai and what he's going through. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. He's clearly on the outside. Esther's on the inside. She has to send a messenger to the outside to talk to Mordecai because he's on the outside. He's not on the inside. Esther's on the inside. And Mordecai told him all that had happened and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So here we have Mordecai. He's out hiding. And pain on the outside, while Esther's inside in prosperity and hiding her true identity. And the question in the text is Will she wake up? Is she a Jew in ethnicity and name only, or is she a Jew in the heart? See, shared pain can awaken a sleepy, a hidden faith. Here's my prayer. I just this is what I've been praying for over this message. I've been praying, God, God, wake up your church, wake up your church. Help them to not be so enamored with the cultural moment, but to be consumed by you, the Redeemer God, who rescues people. So Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree, that's to Hathach, to take to Esther and Susa for the destruction that that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and commanded her to go to the king, to beg his favor, to plead with him on behalf of the people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And so Esther is now in a moment of decision. Will she Go in to see the king and plead on behalf of the Jews. Will she out herself as a Jew? The the identity she's kept hidden all along. I, I want to remind you that when you're reading the book of Esther or when you're reading Old Testament stories and you're reading about the Jews, you're reading about God's covenant people, And you, if you are a Christian, are part of God's covenant people. And the story of Esther is your story. The story of Esther is our story, collectively. And one of the lessons of the story is that we cannot be a people of hidden faith in a world of open pain. When the world out there is experiencing open pain, we cannot be a people of hidden faith. The Apostle Paul reminds us But a Jew is one inwardly. Paul says it's a matter of the the heart, a circumcision of the heart. And the question of the text is Is she a Jew inwardly? The question sometimes the moment in culture raises of you and me is Are you a Christian name only? Are you a Christian because your parents were Christians? Or in your heart, have you set apart Christ as Lord? And if he calls your name, are you willing and able to obey him? Esther is in a category of spiritual risk right now. Why? Because prosperity puts people at as much spiritual risk as poverty does. I've read this to you before. My friend Greg Nettle wrote in his book, Small Matters, we see poverty and prosperity as similar problems. Though the circumstances of a child in poverty are different than those of a child in prosperity, they both are equally at risk. One child has too little, one child has too much. One child is in danger of forgetting about God because she does not have enough. One child is in danger of forgetting about God because she has more than enough. Esther is queen. She is a glorified concubine, but she is queen. She has a certain amount of power. So the question is, is her soul going to awaken? Or will it be soothed? By the possessions of Persia. Look, we cannot just have our souls awakened to pain. That's not far enough. Our souls have to be awakened to faith. And Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, What does Esther say? All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king's court these 30 days. Presumably the king is not sleeping alone over these 30 days. His affections have turned to another. And here Esther is saying, I don't really have the power you think I have, Mordecai. And once again, we are at a moment that the book of Esther raises the question, who is really in power? Who's really, really in power? Christopher says in his commentary, she may be crowned queen of Persia, but she has no power. All Esther has in the eyes of the world and the king is her beautiful face, and attractive figure. So if the king does not want her body, there is no hope. That's the feeling of the moment. So pain can awaken you, but pain can also numb you. Pain can have you in in a place where you feel like, Nothing good can come from this, and so I'm going to protect my soul, I'm just going to numb my feelings, whether it be with food or things or some other substance in the world. We can easily just sort of say, I'm going to try to satiate the soul so I don't feel the pain, and I don't feel the hope, and I don't have expectancy, and the question in the book of Esther that's, that's sort of ringing loud and clear at this moment is, where is God? Where is he? but there is no loud proclamation in the book of Esther that God is here. Instead, the book of of Esther whispers. Here's what the book of Esther whispers. God's silence is not God's absence. See, spiritual numbness can be a defense mechanism to protect ourselves from spiritual disappointment. There are a lot of people at New City, if you, if you, if you feel this, I want you to know, there are a lot of people at New City who have experienced spiritual disappointment in their life. The idea, I think, for some is if I lower my expectations of God or what God can do, then I won't be disappointed in Him And can I just have an honest conversation with you for a second here? Um, You know, sometimes people have been hurt by church or they've been hurt by the institution of church or they they look at evangelicalism uh, as a political movement and they they feel hurt by that. And I I just want, can I encourage you? I mean, this is prophetically speaking to your life here. Can Can I encourage you? Our spiritual disappointments may be less about God's failure to do. And more about our failure to see. In fact, if your eyes are just, they're not in tune to see him. That's what Esther's doing, by the way. Esther, as the book of Esther whispers to us: look closely. And it may be the Holy Spirit might say to you today, yeah, I know you have spiritual disappointment, and you, I know you feel like God hasn't been present in your story, but maybe the Holy Spirit is whispering to you today, look closer. Look, we need to be awakened, all of us, collectively, to our status as God's covenant people and the covenant promises of God, and that's what happens here. It's so it's, it's really interesting what happens here. The links the author of Esther goes to to, to to make sure that God is right here on the pages at the same time hidden in plain sight. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. If you keep silent at this time, listen to a faith statement here from Mordecai, who's recently awakened. Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Even if you don't show up in this moment, Esther, I believe... It says, Mordecai, that God will bring about deliverance. In other words, Mordecai is saying God keeps his promises. But look at the links the author of Esther goes to push God into, into the subtext of Esther. Because we're to be looking closely. Esther's saying, Look, look, dear friend, look closer. Remember Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. God said, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring, Abraham, as many of the stars of heaven and sand that is on the seashore. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. "I, I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse And you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says he says to Esther, like this is a this is so interesting. He says, Do not think yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews, but you and your father's house will perish. In other words, he's saying, look, God God is for his covenant people, those who are Jewish in heart, and I believe in my Redeemer God. Are you going to stand with him, or is your faith, your father's faith, the lineage of your faith, going to end with you? And the book of Esther whispers. this This is what Mordecai's doing. He's saying, Esther, remember your story. Listen to the stories of your past. Remember your story. Sometimes the pain, we just need to sit still and to listen to our story. And let me remind you the story of Esther is your story, because you are a member of God's covenant people. This is your story. The story of the Old Testament is your story. So do you hear it? Do you hear it? The faint echo of our shared story. If you listen, you can hear it. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you listen, you can hear it I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can hear it echoing throughout history, resonating, ringing in your ear. Jesus saying, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. So why, does the, why doesn't the book of Esther mention God? Why all this effort to push God to the subtext of the story? Here's why. Because sometimes God's hard to see. And we need Esther's story, particularly when we're in pain. I want you to imagine sitting with your children, sitting with a teenager, and reading to your teenager or your junior hire the story of Esther. And I want you to imagine your child saying to you, Father, Mother, Where is God in the book of Esther? How come he's not mentioned? And you as a parent, you're supposed to say, if you're studying the book of Esther with your child, with the the point of the story in mind, you're supposed to say to your child, God is everywhere in the story. To which you can anticipate your child saying to you, but I don't see God. I don't see God anywhere. And this is the response you are to have as a parent speaking to your child. Look closer. Look closer. Now, once want you imagine that a, that child is now an adult and you're a parent. And that adult child calls you. And with, with tears in her eyes, the adult child says to you over a phone, it hurts, it hurts so bad. Where, where is God in any of this? As a loving parent, you could say to your child in remembrance of her story, sweet child, look closer. You could say to that child, just because you don't see him doesn't mean he's not there. And you can point to the book of Esther as evidence to the fact that you just need to look closer, listen more intently. He's everywhere in the pages of our story. And at New City, we often say, we are imperfect people. We are imperfect people. People, being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. The reason why we call the church to be courageous, because faith requires courage. And courage is what Esther's going to need. And Mordecai says to Esther, and who knows? Who knows? whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's almost like Mordecai's eyes are being, whoa, are, are being, are, it's like, like his mind is awakening, his eyes are opening, and he's seeing it for the first time. God's invisible hand working through all their imperfection. And now is the moment of Courage. It's like he's saying to Esther, you can be courageous if you know your story, Esther. You can be courageous if you know your story. And Christian, I want you to know you can be courageous if you know your story. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I know ministry is going to hurt, he says. I know it's going to hurt real bad. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and I can do it because I know my story. And my story is my Savior raised from the dead. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And I'm a conqueror in him. And our courage is not the product of of our faith. This is an important point. Our courage is not the product of our faith. It's the product of God's faithfulness. I've got a friend right now who is going through much pain. Mysterious illness, chronically ill now for a couple years. It seems like every so often I get a text message or notification that my friend's in the hospital for yet another reason. And he he created a hashtag. God's got this. And he keeps looking at the pain and the the hurt of every of every you know, every turn. It seems like it gets a little bit better, and something else happens. It gets a little bit worse. And he's looking at it all, and he, he just kind of has this confidence in the Lord Jesus. He goes, God's got this. And he, he said to me in an honest conversation, like, no matter what happens, I believe God's got this because Jesus raised from the dead. We can hold on to the promises of Psalms 105. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And he is faithfulness to all generations. Our faith does not rest on our ability to have faith. It rests upon the faithfulness of Jesus who did for us what we could not do for ourselves and has offered us freedom and victory in him. But faith requires It requires the courage to see how your position can be part of the solution to the pain of this world. It's an invitation to be a participant in God's redeeming work. And who knows whether you have not come to this place in your work, to this place in society, to this place in your family for such a time as this? Why do you have the job you have? Why do you have the influence you have? Why do you have the opportunity you have? Is it, is it not that God is up to something? Is it all just coincidence? Or is God up to something? Have you looked close enough? Are you listening to the echoes of your story? So here's a question of courage for you. If God called you to go public with your faith, to walk into the pain of this world, would you risk it? Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, I'm going to risk it. Esther here turns from a passive virgin who has taken to a queen who is barking out orders. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. Command, hold a fast on my behalf. Command, do not eat or drink for three days. Command, night or day. And, I, and, and my young women will also fast as you do. I'll command them to do that. And then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law. And if I perish. I perish. If I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away, did everything as Esther had ordered him. Part of the problem in the American Christian experience is we have divided the sacred and the secular. And there's a false divide between the sacred and the secular. Now God's people were taken by the Babylonians under the Persian rule. Artaxerxes uh, began to, to give permission to the Jews to reassemble in Jerusalem. And what did God do? Well, God used Ezra as a priest to bring back temple worship. But the people of Jerusalem were vulnerable. And God used Nehemiah as a community developer to put walls up around the city to protect the people of the city. And what is God going to do in the pages of Esther? God is going to use Esther as a politician. In whatever work you do, God wants to use you. By the way, all work is what we do to provide for human flourishing. The Lord took the man, he put him in the garden, he said, work, this is before the fall, this is good stuff, work the garden, provide for human flourishing Adam. And as a Christian person, who's experienced the self-sacrifice of Jesus. We are to sacrifice ourselves and our desires and our wants for the sake of human flourishing. We can do as Esther did. We We can say, if I perish with Esther, only because Jesus said, I will perish for you so you can live through me. And so we find the strength to say with Esther, if I perish, I perish because Christ said, I will perish on your behalf. And he died, and he raised the grave, and he conquered sin and death. But the secular view, the secular world, they, they just see this as all there is. And so you see that the desperation of not giving up anything, any power, any wealth, <laughs> any, not investing of oneself in a sac- self-sacrificial way for the sake of human flourishing, because if this is all there is, I want to die with as much of it as I can. That's the ethics of the kingdom the kingdoms of this world. But the sacred mind, the mind that's tuned in to the kingdom of Jesus, has been awakened to see the heavenly reality. And I'll remind you of Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, Jesus, our Lord. He's our Christ, he's our Lord. Whew. Okay, our citizenship is in heaven. But we're to love people here and now. We are in the world, not of the world. The question isn't, should we be involved in the politics of our day? That's not the question. For Esther, it was emphatically, yes, I should be involved in the politics of our day because it it will work towards justice for those who have been exposed, namely the covenant people of God. So the question isn't, should we be involved in the politics of our day? It's, how will we be involved in the politics of our day? The Apostle Paul in Philippians says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There is a manner of life that is worthy. And I am just praying this over and over again, right? Praying this, Jesus, lead your church. Let me just say, I'm also praying Republicans, get your hands off the church. And Democrats, get your hands off the church. This is Jesus' church. He's the head. He calls the shots, and we obey him. We live out his principles and his ways. And Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. Say, if you must, if I perish, I perish. Let each of you look, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Say, if I perish, I perish, because that's the ethics of the kingdom. I will lay down my life for you, because Christ has laid down his life for me. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. It is his mind to live this way in the world. There are three things I want to say to you just in the end. I've been yelling a lot. I don't know why I got passionate. All right, so here's, here's three things I want to say to you. One is wake up. Mordecai had a spiritual awakening. Esther had a spiritual awakening. Imperfect, imperfect people spiritually woke. Much of that spiritual awakening was listening to the story. So listen to your story. Jesus lived a life that was a substitute for yours. He did it perfectly. He died a death that was a substitute for yours. All of your imperfections were taken care of on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus was buried in a grave and he took your sins very, very far away. And he rose from the grave. He conquered your sin and death. He gave you the gift of life. He gave you the Holy Spirit who affirms it. He gave you his righteousness. So, be courageous. Be courageous. Whew, that felt good. We enter time at New City with three movements generosity, communion, and prayer. And I want to speak to you about generosity for a second. Earlier this year, we started an initiative called Be Good News. You can go to begoodnews.church and learn more about this initiative. This was a financial initiative. Uh, it, I should say it is a financial initiative that many people are very faithfully giving to. Our general fund is called the Be Good News General Fund because this, was, this is an initiative where people are giving uh, to expand the vision of New City. We called the whole church to be good news for people in the city with our lives. And earlier this year... We began investing that Be Good News funds in a lot of different places. We invested some in Shine School Partnership. We invested some in the New Mexico Dream Center. We invested some in Ciudad de Gracia, our church plant, speaking church plant, not far from our current location on San Mateo. We started investing in Across Nations, which, was, which is a, a ministry-serving uh, Navajo Nation. And, and we, will, we will not stop in, the, in that desire to partner with those in the city who are bringing about just work in the city. And I believe Shine is bringing about just work in the city by partnering schools and churches for the common good. Now, this last year, we've had some real bummers because of COVID. One of those was we didn't have New City Fest. The other is we're not having Party at the Barn. These are two events at New City that are phenomenal. If you're watching New City from far away, I hope one day you'll be able to join us in person at one of these events. But we weren't able to have them because of COVID. But we are going to have an event. It's going to be New City at the Drive-In. We've rented out the Balloon Fiesta Drive-In on Thursday night, October 22nd. We're going, to watch, <laughs> we're going to watch Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. It's going to be phenomenal. And here's the deal. We paid for it as a church to rent it out. There will be a fee to attend, but every dollar that we collect for those who are attending the New City at the Drive-In will go to Shine School Partnership because we, we believe in being good news. And we want to be good news to our city. And man, there is pain in the world. And we want to be courageous and invest in that pain as a community. So I'd love for you not only to attend the new city at the drive-in event, but to advertise to every single friend you know. It'll be on social media this week, and Instagram, and on Facebook, and on Twitter. And you can you can just send that to every friend you know. We want to pack that place out, and we want to give as much money as possible to Shine School Partnership. Also, in light of be good news, I want to, to remind you that we purchase a new facility not far from the facility that we meet in. It's right down the street. We are leasing it to North Church, who currently meets in that building. And in April, we plan to move in to that new facility. That has also happened in light of be good news. COVID has a way of sort of like, you know, what's what's going on. You know, well, I want to remind you that. Big things have gone on here at New City. Also, a few weeks ago, I announced Luke A is a church planter that we planted in Myanmar uh, in Meguk. This is a church planter reaching unreached people on the edge, edges of, of uh, you know on the edges of the reach of Christianity. 0.3 percent Christian in this particular tribe and people group, and we we are so excited to begin a relationship with Stadia and Asian Christian Services and planting churches among unreached people groups. And I couldn't be more excited about it. So generosity, I just want you to know what's going on. So when you give your dollars to New City, I want you to know things are happening. They're happening. And it allows us to do the, the good news initiatives that we want to do in the city to raise the questions, the good news questions about Jesus Christ. So that's generosity. Please be generous today. You can give online. Uh, you can give on the app. Uh, if you're in service, you can give in the boxes in the back. We'd love for you to be able to give. Communion you can do on your own. Break the bread. Remember Christ's body broken for you. Take the cup. Remember his blood shed for you. I hope you understand that every week we break the bread. Every week we take the cup. We are listening to our story. And remembering our story. And that's our story. And lastly, I'd like to, to pray for you. Now, after I pray, we're going to show a baptism video. And that baptism video is a couple of kiddos that were baptized recently here at New City. And if you would like to be baptized, let us know on a Connect card. Please let us know on a Connect card. You can uh, easily do that online. You can do that on uh, if you're watching online today on the live stream. You can do that easily on the live stream. Certainly you can find the Connect card on our website. We'd love for you to know more about baptism and the beautiful story that it tells. It tells the story of death, burial, and resurrection and what God has done for us. All right, let's pray. Father, I know the world's in pain. I know that there's a lot of struggle going on in the world right now. I, I pray that that pain, the volume, would be turned down by the power of your Holy Spirit and the teaching of your word today. Be turned down so that we could hear your Holy Spirit just saying to us, You're here. Thank you for letting us know that you are here. You're with us. And you won't leave us or forsake us. And we can be courageous because. You are with us, and so I pray for courage today and that Christian people be living out Christian principles in the, in, 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 the, in the marketplace and in the places they live, work, and play. Help us to be witnesses to your glory, your goodness. Say to your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. God bless church. I love you so much.